God wants us to grow in the knowledge of the word so that our lives will be changed. If you look at the bottom of your outline, um, it is so important for us to spend time with God in his word. But to see that not as just spending time in something that's written like a book, but spending time with the living person of Jesus. And so there's some questions there that you can answer later on as you reflect upon the meaning of this message. And the third one says, what can and will you do to work God's word into your daily life? To work God's word into your daily life. And so God wants us to study his word. God wants us to read his word and to know his word so that his word will become a part of us. So first, the word and the work of God is this, that we would read the word of God and that the life of Jesus would come to us, that others would know that there is a change happening in our lives, and that we would know that there is a change happening inside of our lives. The second thing we'll learn is from chapter, verses 14 through 16. And this is that God will give me courage to face the consequences of this authentic faith that God will give me the courage to face the consequences of this authentic faith that God wants us to have as the word of God works in our lives. Let me read again verses 14 through 16. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they also heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. So we read here that certain things are consequences of the faith that these people had in Thessalonica. And the consequence of their faith was that they had to suffer. You see the word suffering there twice in verse 14. They had to suffer in a way that was very similar to the way that Paul had to suffer for his faith and very similar in the way that Jesus suffered in his faith. The word suffer, is the, it comes from a root word, which is paschal, which is where we get like paschal lamb or the Passover lamb. It means to feel strongly in our emotions, and to hurt, and to have passion. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, you have your, the scripture there, and um, this is about Jesus. Would you read this with me? It begins with the Son of Man, Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Let's read it together. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus knew that he would suffer. And that's the same word, Paschal, there. That he would have passion for us. That he would suffer because he knew that he was bringing life to people. And there were people who would reject him so much so that they would kill him. And this is the same thing that may happen in our lives, that people will reject us if we live our faith. And that's what was happening to the Judean Christians. As they were living out their faith, they were suffering and you and I will too if we stand upon the word of God. If we stand upon the truth of the word of God, we will be persecuted. People may laugh at us. People may reject us. People may insult us. People may yell at us or fight with us because we're not being politically correct. 
We are standing upon the truth of God. So if we say that, that the world was made by a creator, we stand upon the word of God. That God said he made the world, that he is the creator, and therefore he is the sovereign over the world. God's word says that he is holy and that he is just. And therefore he will have judgment over all evil in the world. God's word says that there is a hell. And even as we read here, there is wrath. There is wrath. And if we stand upon that, people may not like that message and reject us. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That there is no other way. We read about it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But that is also God's grace to us, his goodness to us, and his love to us. But it is singular, but it is for all people. No one would be rejected. Everyone is invited, but there's only one way. And as is the message today, we're saying that the Bible is authoritative, that it is absolutely true, and it is God's direction for all living, morally, ethically, that this is the way that God has spoken to us, that we have something authoritative in our lives, but we will have enemies if we want to live that out. But God will take care of us. God will lead us and God will use us. It's not a popular thing to talk about, but it is what the word of God teaches us. When it was said by Paul of what had happened in that day, he was trying desperately to win his people, the Jews, to Jesus. But the Jews rejected Jesus as a people at that time. Individual Jews came to know Jesus. But as a people, they rejected the Lord. And he says there in verse 15, five things that they did. They killed the Lord Jesus. They killed the prophets. They drove out Paul and the other disciples. They displeased God. And they were hostile to all men because they were stopping the gospel from being preached to all the world. And Paul says, this is what they did and this is going to incur and already has actually begun the wrath of God. The word wrath comes from a word that means to swell, to build up, to swell. And so what we understand of wrath here is not, it's not like our wrath at times. It's not a sudden outburst of anger. God's wrath is not that way. But rather it is a swelling up of his anger and his displeasure. But it is always controlled, and it is also passionate feeling that he has against that which is evil. But if evil persists, wrath will be expressed. And here it says that the wrath has already begun to come. And it had already become on those people in that day, the Jewish nation. They were already being tormented by the Romans. The book of 1 Thessalonians was written about 52 A.D., and in 18 years from then, the whole city of Jerusalem would be destroyed and be overrun by the Romans, and the temple would be torn down. And so the wrath of God was already coming upon those people. This is not a popular message. It's not fun to hear. But we are going to face persecution. And God would want us to have the courage to stand up and to be the people of God and to accept the consequences of real faith, of authentic faith, 
Paul loved his people, and we should love people as well. And in the midst of knowing that there is evil all around us, we should be sharing the message of hope all the more. Paul's heart was for his people, even though it was those people of those days that had killed Jesus. He loved the Jews, and he loved the nation. Paul said in Romans 9, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from them. Christ, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. And then he says in chapter 10, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. Paul's heart was for the people even though his heart was broken over what was happening to them and that the wrath was coming upon them. I mean, how many people do you know that you love enough to say, God, I would give up my salvation for them? And that's how much Paul loved the Jews, even though they were people who were hurting him and hurting God's people. And so this is what God would have us to do. If we look at the time with Jesus, the first question says, have you ever suffered because you were faithful to God and his word? And what did this suffering do to your faith? The second one says, where do you need to stand upon the absolute truth of God's word? And how does God's word give you courage to be faithful for him now? There are places in our lives where God's word is being applied. Where he would have us to stand up and be true people of Christ. And that he will give us the courage to live that life as we obey his word. This helps us to have his word work in us, and it helps us to be ready for his coming. Thirdly, Paul would want us to know this as what he experienced. And this is the joy of his life. And this is the joy of our lives. But that we would be like Paul, and that we would long to experience a true Christ-centered community. That we would long to experience what it means to be part of the family of God. Verses 17 through 20. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we, were made, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. God would want us to have a center in Christ so that our community is such that we love each other. Paul had been separated from his people, and he says he had been torn away. And the word could be translated, he had been orphaned from the people. And we often think of an orphan as somebody who has been torn away from their parents. But Paul is saying that as a parent, he's an orphan because he's been torn away from his children. This is a love that Paul has for his people. And he says that he has an intense longing for them. Do you have an intense longing for the people of God? Do you have an intense longing to fellowship with them? And is there a community that you have an intense longing to be a part of? What a joy it is when we have that. Have you ever been really, really homesick? I mean, just really homesick. That's what it's like to have an intense longing for a family, and for a community. And this is what can happen as we share our lives with each other. 
as we come to be together with them, as we come to share with them. I want you to um, look again at the, um, the little announcement there in your bulletin about the prayer fellowship. And, and the prayer fellowship is going to be on Friday, June 26th. It's a Friday night at uh, Irvine Presbyterian Church. It's going to be from 7.30 to 8.45. But this one's going to be different. Instead of us just coming and praying together as a large group, we want to invite you to come and maybe even bring people to come to pray with the elders and to pray with some of the deacons, to have prayer for any specific need that you have, be small or little. Over the last six weeks, I have been made aware of just many things that many of you are going through, many hurts. And, and I've talked to you, and you've talked to me. And we've heard these, and we've shared these. And I know that others of you have shared with other people about the hurts in your life, and you've asked them to pray for you. It is when we pray for each other, when we care for each other, that this depth of community happens and grows. And if you come, you don't have to come for the whole time. Just come sometime between 7.30 and 8.45. And come and just let us pray for you. Maybe you have a need for some healing. Maybe you have a need for something in your life where you really have a great desire for God to work in your life and you just want prayer for that. Then come. Maybe there's somebody that you know that's hurting and you want to bring them and say, you know what, if you come to our church, we're going to pray for you and pray with you. You can join them and be with them. These are the things that help us to draw near to each other and to experience community and to experience love. And if we don't to them, then we deprive ourselves of the opportunity of experiencing the things that bring the type of love and the joy that God wants us to have. Yes, there's going to be things that will fight against us. And it fought against Paul and said, Paul said it was Satan that stopped him from being able to do the things that he wanted to do. But God would win. And Paul knew this. And this was his hope. He knew that in the end, God was going to bring him in perfect fellowship forever with these believers that he loved so much. Look again at verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy? What is or our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our joy and you are our glory and you are the one that we love. God wants us to be ready for his coming. God wants us to get our life in order. God wants us to be ready. Paul says that these people are his crown, and in those days, a winner of a race would receive a crown, and Paul's referring to that. And this crown was something that was given to a winner who would experience, of course, joy in winning, in coming across the finish line. And Paul is saying that you are my joy. You are my crown. You are the one that I want to present to the Lord Jesus. I want to be with you when Jesus comes. Imagine what it like, it's going to be like when you have this family reunion in heaven. A family reunion where you see people who have died, who have been in heaven for a while before you, and you get there and you get to be with them forever and ever. And there are people in our lives that we want to know Jesus so that when they die, they will meet us in heaven if, they do, if we go before them. God wants us to have this kind of joy. He wants us to get our house in order. He wants us to be ready to be with him. Um, 
couple months ago, Karen and I went on vacation for a couple weeks, and uh, this is the first time that we, we left, and our, our boys are older now, but we went to go visit Angela over in Italy, and so we left our, our two younger, or they're younger than us, our boys at home, and, um, and so we, we said to them, okay, um, take care of each other, uh, take care of yourself, and take care of the house, all right? So, so when we come back, we want the house to be clean, all right? We want it to be neat. We know what they're like, and so it's like, okay. So we said, I said this, you know, even if you clean the house just, you know, an hour before we come home, that's fine. And we don't need to know what it looked like for the other two weeks. But at least just clean it an hour before we come home. All right? And we'll be good with that. And so we came home, and the house was great. It was clean. I don't know if they never came home, and they just, it looked exactly the same as when we left it. They were just gone for two weeks. Or they cleaned it in the last hour. It didn't matter how much they messed it up. It was clean when we got home. They did it. We were thankful. Right? Now, now, this is the last hour right now. And Jesus is coming back. And you know what? It, it doesn't matter what happened before. It doesn't matter how much you may have messed up or, or what opportunities you've lost. Or what you have done that you regret. This is the last hour. You have time now. We have time now. From wherever we are to begin to grow in our faith. We have time from this moment on to begin to say, God, you know what? I want to be ready for your return. I want to know this kind of love and fellowship. I want to be able to be happy when I stand before you. I want to know that I can stand before you right now. And know that you've forgiven all my sins. And know that you will receive, receive me in love. I want to begin to love my family the way that you made me to love my family. I want to begin to love my neighbors and reach out to people in the way that you made me begin. Because now is the last hour. God's saying, you know, it doesn't matter what you did before. If now you will start to act the way that I've created you to act and to be. A people who love God. Jesus says, you know what, when you do this, you are going to receive something. That, so you can't even describe it right now, but the word simply is glory. Glory. That God wants us to experience this glory that Jesus is going to give to us. Paul says, indeed, you are my glory and my joy. And Jesus says, I want you to experience my glory forever and ever. I don't know what that's like yet. But I know that there have been great moments in my life on earth where I've experienced glory with tremendous joy and love in the family of God, where I've felt so loved and so cared for under bad times and in good times when people came around me and cared about me. And I experienced a certain sense of that glory of love that God has given to me. And you have too, probably. But Jesus, that's what it's meant to be like all the time in heaven. In John chapter 17, Jesus was praying. And he said, Father... I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. God wants us to see and to be in his glory in heaven forever. And then Jesus said in Matthew 24, and this sort of summarizes even the book of 1 Thessalonians. And Jesus says, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. 
Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Jesus could return any day, at any time. And this is the last hour. And he wants to find us working. He wants to find us doing his will. He wants to find us seeking after his heart. He wants to find us loving each other. He wants to find us experiencing his love in deep and abiding ways in this Christ-centered community. Look at the first question of time with Jesus. What do you most long to experience within God's family and church? What do you most long to experience within God's family and church? What can you do to reach out to either ask for this or provide this for others. There's always those two things that we can do with whatever we want. We can either ask for it or we can give it. And when we do either one, we build the community of God. God's going to come. And Jesus is going to stand before us and we're going to stand before him. And he wants us to be ready. He wants us to long for his coming by seeking him even now, and by loving others and giving of ourselves. You can do this, even just among yourselves. You can share with each other and pray for each other and encourage each other. This is what God wants for us. This is the church that God has made. This is what we are to be, and you can be part of it. You are a part of it. You know, when... When you're a part of the church, you take ownership for it. And when you're an owner, you have immense amount of interest. But if you don't participate as an owner, what can happen is you can just simply be a spectator. And you can just sort of watch what's happening from the outside. And if you watch what's happening from the outside, you know, you can, you can be a rooter, and you can, you can be go, 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 go. Or you might be one of those who go, boo, 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 and are a critic. But when you're an owner, you're one who cares masterfully for what happens and meaningfully in what happens and lovingly and caringly for what happens. And so God invites you to be an owner by being a participant in the family of God and by sharing in all that he's made us to be so that his word is at work within us. Let us pray.